Well, good morning, Orangewood. Uh, please follow along on the screens as I read uh, our section of Galatians on which our sermon is based this morning. Friends, these words are utterly true and they are given to us in love. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, gracious Father, we recognize that you are here with us by the work of Jesus Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so uh, may you teach us. May you encourage us where we need to be encouraged. May you convict us where we need to be convicted. Meet us where we are this morning. Forgive the preacher, he is a sinner. But may we see Jesus, for grace changes everything. We pray this in his name, and everyone said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, I, I'm really glad that you're here. You picked uh, a really great Sunday to join us. We're beginning a new sermon series today, uh, looking at the book of Galatians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in the first century. And we'll be breaking up this book of Galatians. We're going to have a series to start, and then we'll go into the season of Advent, and we'll pick up the rest of the book after the new year. But the sermon series that we're going to be in here to start the book of Galatians, the sermon series is titled Grace Changes Everything. I love that. I love what our team came up. Grace Changes Everything. What a, what a title for a sermon series probably no better title because I know how much for me I need this kind of grace in my life, and I hope you do too. Uh, we shared back at the beginning of September, uh, if you're new with us, our new mission statement, uh, which is inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. That's, that's who we are. That's why we are here, and we're we were praying through where would we go after our sermon series on our mission, our values, where would we go uh, to really drive home this mission, uh, to drive home this calling that we have to invite every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. And I felt like God kept calling my heart back to the book of Galatians, that we get this feeling as we read this book, as we work our way through it, there's this unfolding drama uh, that Galatians is inviting us to see. Uh, it's the story of all human history. Galatians is inviting us into this larger story with the climax of that story coming to fruition in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, this is how the book of Galatians gets at that picture. No greater place than Galatians 4.4. It says this, 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, The story of the book of Galatians is the story of the gospel. We're invited to see that the life change that we are all looking for, that life change is only found in the grace of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. And in God's providence, uh, we had the sermon series starting today, October 31st. And why is that so important? Uh, It's not because it's Halloween. Uh, It's not because we're going to have this phenomenal trunk or treat this afternoon, as great as they are. It's because today is Reformation Sunday. October 31st, 1517, the reformer Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of the church of Wittenberg. Uh, They were proclaiming the beauty of this one beautiful gospel. This one beautiful gospel that Paul wants you so desperately to see today. That's the message of our passage today. The one beautiful gospel. One message of grace that changes everything. Uh, But there are Three types of people, there may be more, but at least three types of people I know I'm addressing today. And, and you, you may be here this morning and might be, feel like a mix of all three. Uh, the first one, the first group, you, you're here and you're wearied. Um, you're, you're, you've, you've just been beat down by life. You've, you've been burdened. Uh, there's an overwhelmingness to your life right now that you're feeling and you're carrying. And uh, Martin Luther knew this weariness. He knew this overwhelming feeling. Um, and, and something happened to him and in his life when he began to read this book of Galatians, it changed him. Uh, this is what he wrote in his commentary. We find no rest for our weary bones unless we cling to the word of grace. I don't know about you, but my bones feel pretty weary. We can't help to experience that in our modern world today, we, we, we feel marginalized, some of us. We feel isolated, some of us. Or whether there's this standard that we feel like we're just not measuring up this morning, we feel that. Uh, we're bombarded by the messages that are coming to us every day that, guess what? You are not cutting it. You're still not there. You've got more to do. There's someone more successful, more attractive, more than, you know, whatever it is in your life, you name it. Our bones are weary. Our bones are weary. The gospel, the word of grace is extended to us. No strings attached. It is a message to be received rather than achieved. The second group, you're here and you have some questions about this faith, about Jesus, um, about what this kind of grace means for your life. And I encourage you just to lean in as best as you can with those questions. Um, And I pray that God would speak to you through this great book of Galatians. And what I know for sure is you will still have questions that you will find as we make our way through. But what I know is God meets you right there in the middle of whatever questions you bring here this morning. He has a word of grace for you. And finally, there's the third group and you're here and you think I've actually got a pretty good understanding of the gospel, Tyler. I I got a pretty good understanding of what this grace is. I'm good, Tyler. I'm good. I've been a Christian for years. I know the gospel. I know the beauty of this one beautiful gospel, this grace. Oh, really? Tim Keller said it this way. The point of the book of Galatians is you think you know the gospel and you don't. 
what we'll see in this book is that the gospel is deeper, richer, more beautiful, more offensive, and more freeing than you ever thought. If you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I I feel like I barely understand the gospel, you're actually on the right track. Grace changes everything. How do you know that you've opened this window of grace into your life so that that fresh air can blow in? How how do you know you've opened it? What are the distinctives of this one beautiful gospel? Well, we see four things in our passage today. It's personal, it's inclusive, it's exclusive, and it's liberating. So let's look first at this first one. It's personal. And we see this actually right here in the beginning of the letter. It says this, Paul, an apostle, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who, who raised him from the dead. Paul uses this title to begin his letter, an apostle. Um, titles are used all the time, uh, in companies to communicate authority or, um, to, to change up things so that people can have like a new experience in the life of the company culture. Um, these were some new titles that I actually ran into as I was working on this sermon. Um, some companies have changed now. They, they no longer call them the HR manager, the human resources manager. Now there's companies using the title, the chief happiness officer, uh, because nobody thinks happiness like HR, apparently. Um, customer service, customer service. Uh, many of you know this one. Um, uh, you go into the Apple store, that customer service, they're called the what? The genius, the genius. Resales, uh, sales associates, people, you go into the store to buy some clothes. You're, you're there. Um, if you go to Lululemon, uh, they are now called the educators. The educators, chief financial officer, CFO, you've heard that title. Well, at Tesla, they are actually called the master of coin. I actually looked it up just to make sure the master of coin. And this final one, I saw several, (laughs) several sites referencing it, but I couldn't actually find the actual company, the office manager. We all have an office manager. This person is known as the toilet paper messiah. And you laugh, but during COVID, if there was ever one you needed a toilet paper messiah to hunt down whatever remaining toilet paper that was left. Now, we use titles for what? We use them to create more excitement, maybe um, to give our role more importance, uh, but not Paul. Paul. Paul is not about that in his life. Paul had a massive personal encounter with God. And we actually see this story playing out. We're not going to go there, but the story is in Acts 9. Uh, Paul thought that he was doing everything that he was supposed to be doing. He, he's persecuting the church. He, he lived a, a, a right and moral life, religious life. Uh, he grew up in a family uh, that believed in God. But what happened? In Acts 9, he had a personal encounter with Jesus. The gospel changed him personally. You see, in our culture, uh, no no one really thinks that you need a personal encounter with Jesus to get your life changed. Now now we've kind of embraced this idea that what what you really need is you just need some new techniques. You you just need some new practices in your life. That's what will get your life in order. Uh, Have you done bullet journaling? Um, Have have you done the four-hour work week? Are Are you reading Dale Carnegie? 
Uh, have, you had, have you read any Stephen Covey? Now, these are all great books and resources. Don't hear me downplaying them. But they're, they're these techniques. And we're living in a world what now some people call project self. Uh, always tinkering with this never-ending project that is you. And you might feel the pressure of project self this morning. But what this one beautiful gospel is, it is a personal encounter with God where your titles don't matter, uh, where for Paul, his religious pedigree didn't matter. None of that matters. What defines your life is enjoying God. It's personal. Uh, our guiding confession for our church is a, a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And there's the shorter catechism. And the first question that you're asked is, what is the chief end of man? What's the, what's the aim of man's life. Uh, and it says, uh, uh, man's chief aim is project self. No, that's not what it says. Just making sure. Uh, man, man's chief end is to be a really, really, really good person. No. Man's chief end is to glorify God and what? Enjoy him forever. Some of you know it. It's personal. Enjoy God. The second distinctive of this one beautiful gospel is that it is inclusive. Look at the second verse. Paul is telling us who he is writing to. He writes this to the churches of Galatia. Now, friends, this is a profound verse because you have to remember, Paul is from a Jewish background. He's, he's a devout religious Jew who's come to faith in Jesus. But the culture of that time, Jews and Gentiles do not get along. They, they don't associate together. Um, this, this verse speaks to the radical inclusiveness of the gospel. A Galatia was a region which you would find today as modern-day Turkey. That's where Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to Gentiles, and he is not speaking to them about my God. He is saying in this passage we read, he's speaking to them about our God. Our God. Larry Hurtado uh, wrote, uh, he's a New Testament scholar, historian. He wrote a wonderful book called The Destroyer of the Gods. Destroyer of the Gods. And he says that Christianity was like on no other movement in the ancient world because it exploded beyond its geographical origins into new cultures and reached new people. Uh, this gospel went across political lines. It spread across socioeconomic lines. It spread across racial and ethnic lines. Hurtado says that this is one of the main reasons why the church exploded in the first century, that it was inclusive. You may not have heard of this name. His name is Celsus. Celsus was a second century Greek philosopher. Uh, and he wrote several documents. But the irony is we don't have any record of those documents. The only things that we have are he, he wrote a massive refutation against Christianity. All that we have are the places where he was cited by Christians, ancient Christians, where they refuted him. So the, the irony is the only reason he's popular is because Christians who he was trying to refute quoted him. And this is one of the big issues that he was having. One of the main reasons that he was having issues with Christianity was because when compared to all the other religions of its time, Christianity accepted people immediately into their community across different ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. One of his major issues with Christians was he, quote, they let in the worst kinds of people into their fellowship, unquote. 
our new mission statement is shaped by this reality that we see in the Bible, inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. Every person. The gospel this morning is for Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians because the gospel is for every person. The gospel is for those who are trying to put it together and those who are falling apart everywhere in their life and everywhere in between because the gospel is for every person. The gospel is for the rich and the poor, for the people of my tribe and those I disagree with because the gospel is for every person. That's how the gospel exploded in the first century. The gospel is for Atlanta Braves fans. And the gospel is even for Houston Astros fans. And the reason I know this is because I'm a Houston Astros fan. Don't you dare judge me. (laughs) Don't you even think about it. My wife is from Houston. How dare you? You see how offensive this message of grace truly is? It will challenge you to allow more people in than you thought. Anne Lamont is a writer. She wrote a book called Bird by Bird. And in that book, she has this phenomenal line. She says this, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Friends, the one beautiful gospel is radically inclusive. It is for everyone because it is for you. The third distinctive, and it might sound contradictory, but this is the beauty of the gospel, is it's exclusive. Look at verses six and seven. Paul's confronting an issue in the church. That's the motivation behind this book that he's writing, the book of Galatians. He's, he's dealing with this group called the Judaizers. And they've infiltrated, infiltrated the church and they were teaching that you have to be saved by doing certain works as well. And this is what he wrote about the gospel. It says this in verse six, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The one beautiful gospel is exclusive. Notice that Paul doesn't say a gospel of Christ. Did you see that? A gospel of Christ. It says what? The gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. Now, this kind of language will get you in trouble in our modern world. It's the kind of language that will definitely get you in trouble in a city like Orlando. These are exclusive truth claims. But the reality is, everyone I know at least has exclusive truth claims. Uh, I remember running into uh, a guy I knew who we knew each other as kids. We went to the same church, but as we had gotten older, he had actually gotten to a place where he had decided to walk away from Christianity, reject the faith. And we ended up talking about it. And I asked him, you know, what, what's your major issue? Why do you, why do you, why are you so against Christianity now? And he says, I hate that Christianity believes it has a superior view of reality. Uh, He made the statement. I don't believe in exclusive truth claims. To which I responded, the only problem for you is that statement is an exclusive truth claim. Now we laughed, but he got the point. I'll hear people say this sometimes. I I just, I I hate dogma. I hate doctrine. But, But that statement is a dogma. It is a doctrine. Uh, the belief 
is a doctrine itself. And friends, if you're here and you struggle with Christianity, please, I understand that there are things about the Christian faith that are hard to accept, very hard to accept. So I just ask you to lean in with me. But the problem is, if you're here, you may be hiding behind the veneer of tolerance, but you're only tolerant for those who think like you. And we can't help but have exclusive truth claims because that's the only way we can make sense of the world. We have to have them. But another simple way, you know that the one beautiful gospel is exclusive by just simply reading the actual claims of Christianity compared to every other religion. Uh, Stephen Prothero is a New Testament scholar, teaches at Boston University, and from everything I've read on his life, not a Christian at all, um, but he is a religious scholar in the academy, and he's, he's written books kind of detailing the various differences between religions and how they're made up and stuff like that. He wrote a book called God is Not One, where he looks at the tenets and doctrines of the eight major religions in the world, and, and he takes a pretty objective viewpoint as a non-Christian. Um, but taking on the phrase, all roads lead to heaven. And he says that cannot be true. Uh, He says the tenets and doctrines of the various religions actually are in sharp disagreement and intention with each other. They, they disagree with, with each other. And Prothero has this great line in the, the book that he essentially says this and I'll paraphrase it. He says, most modern people believe that religion is just different paths up the same mountain. You may have heard that. Uh, you may believe that just different paths up the same mountain. Um, and he said, but if you examine the different religious texts, uh, you will discover that they are not different paths up the same mountain. They are actually all different mountains altogether. (laughs) You study them. It's not different paths of the same, but they're, they're different mountains all together. And historians have written that when Christianity came on the scene, the Greco Roman world had no clue what to do with this movement of followers of Jesus. You have to remember in the ancient world, if you went into a city uh, what you would find when you go into cities, you'd find the temples, the, the priests, the sacrifices of those various temples right there on the campus that they would, they would be right there in, in the city, um, self of the complex. And, um, we see this actually in acts 14, Paul is writing to the people of Galatia and particularly the city of Lystra. And there we see the priests and the temples to Zeus. And this is what we know about what the historians say is that Christianity was altogether different. There were, there were no temples, there were no priests, there were no sacrifices because Jesus had accomplished all those. In fact, historians say that the first three centuries of the Greco-Roman world didn't even, even call Christianity a religion. Um, they didn't have a concept for it. And so they didn't know what to do with this movement that was centered around the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, The Greco-Roman world actually called Christians atheists for the first three centuries because they didn't know what, what, what is this movement? They they have no temples. They have no sacrifice. They have no priests. Uh, What what are they doing? Uh, Dick Lucas, who used to be a teacher and a, uh, a pastor at a church in London, uh, shares a really great little imaginary story of a conversation in, in the first century between a new Christian and his pagan neighbor um, and what this movement was all about. It was a dialogue uh, that he made up to really get to the picture. Lucas says this, imagine Christians talking to his pagan neighbor and the pagan neighbor says, oh, I hear you're a Christian. Great. A new religion. Tell me which, where's your temple? Uh, he says, oh, well, we don't have tabernacles or temples because Jesus is our temple. Oh, says the pagan neighbor, but where do your priests do their thing? I mean, your priests, your priests have to go. They have to, uh, you know, take care of different sacrifices. Where, where do your priests do their thing? Christian says, well, oh, we don't have priests. Jesus is our priest. 
What says the neighbor? What, but where do they do their sacrifice? I mean, where do you go to garner favor with the gods? Where do you, where do you go to, to appease them? Where do you go to do all these religious services? Where do you do that? The Christian says, oh, we don't have sacrifice anymore because Jesus is our sacrifice. And finally, the neighbor says, oh, well, what kind of religion is this? And the Christian says, it's no kind of religion at all. You see, friends, every other religion is offering you advice. It's giving you a plan for your life, what you must do to be saved. But the gospel is exclusive because it is news. It's what Jesus has done without an ounce of your works. This is how you know you've really gotten the gospel. There's a crisis happening in you. That you know you can't do anything to earn your way to God. You know that everything has been taken care of from beginning to end by Jesus and there's no ounce of your performance. You just trust that Jesus has accomplished everything for you and you surrender your life this morning as best as you are able. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I like Jesus. I like Jesus a lot, but you know, all these other religions, it's just one among many. It's one among many. But friends, we have to see this morning that the one beautiful gospel is exclusive. It's no kind of religion at all, as Lucas put it. And the gospel is becoming real to you when you begin to recognize this crisis in you, this gap in you. Uh, listen to what J.R. Edwards said. He says this, the gospel proclaimed by Jesus produced a crisis. It demanded hearing, discerning, deciding, following, and thus forsaking and excluding incompatible alternatives. Friends, have you had a crisis this morning? Uh, are you able to say, I know there's no ounce in my performance. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm turning over all the other places and alternatives that I've gone to looking for freedom. That's, that's the crisis. Well, that brings us to our fourth distinctive of this one beautiful gospel, that it is liberating. It's liberating. Uh, look at what Paul says in verse four. He says this, uh, Jesus gave himself to our sins to deliver us. Uh, Jesus came to deliver us, to, to liberate us. And how did he do that? Well, uh, first he came to deliberate us from ourselves. Uh, much of our modern culture is consumed with the idea of liberating the self. Uh, I need to express who I truly am inside. I need, I, need, I need to do what makes me happy. And we see this all over the place right now in our culture. One place we see it right now is in our views of sexual identity. I, I know that there's some of you here who are struggling with what this looks like in your life or in the life of your family or in your friendships. Um, the LGBT community are saying that you need to do what makes you happy. I need to liberate myself. I, I need to, to be true to these desires within me, regardless of what God says in his word. Regardless of what God says is right. I need to be true to who I am. That's, that's the real me. Now, I know some of you are struggling. I, need, I know you're here and you're struggling with your sexual identity. I've, I've heard your stories and those are real. And I'm so thankful that you are here. But our modern world sees Christianity as the issue. But Jesus is trying to point out this morning that he is the only one that can truly liberate you. He's the only one who can truly set you free. He's the only one that can deliver you. And this morning, I don't have time to unpack this topic as much as I would like, but I want you to know that uh, we're going to have a forum on sexual identity in January and invite you to come back to that. We'll have more information as, as we get it all planned out. We're working on that right now. But this is part of our value, always truth, always love. How do we lean into that as a church to what does God say and how do we be the most loving people possible? The reality is 
We are all enslaved to something this morning. Something has stolen our joy. Something feels like the taskmaster in our life and we feel inadequate. Maybe this morning you feel stuck somewhere in your life. I read a story about Laura Damaris. She was part of a group of experienced cavers. I didn't know this was a group. They're experienced cavers who who go into caves to explore different places. And uh, she went into a cave, uh, Indiana, in 2016. And after she went in, there was an unexpected storm that blew into that area of Indiana and flooded them into the cave. They They couldn't get out of the cave. Trapped from the inside, they knew their reality. They needed someone to come rescue them. They needed a liberator. And Laura shared in her story with exuberance when she saw off in the distance this dim light that was making its way toward her. They were delivered. There's a song that I always loved, uh, and the title of the song is, I'm not waving, I'm drowning. You get the image in your head. I'm not waving, I'm drowning. And maybe that's what you feel like this morning. Now, I'm not a lifeguard. I have no water certification training or anything of the sort. But I do know that when someone is drowning, I do not throw them a how to swim manual. There you go. I I don't yell out to them. Just try harder. You got it. They need what? They need to be rescued. This is sadly one of the issues with our modern culture. Billions of dollars are being spent getting you to think you can do it. You can do it if you just had the right manual. If you you just tried a little bit harder. This is why the largest genre at the bookstore is what? Self-help. Self-help. Stop it, Tyler. Get it together, Tyler. Try a little harder, Tyler. Friends, we do not need a little more advice. We need news. We need good news. News that there is one who has come and the light is dim in the distance, but it is getting closer. And there is one who has come to bust us out. You see, the gospel is not self-help. The gospel is actually the end of self-help. It's the final recognition that I can't do it. I cannot close this gap. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I am overwhelmed and I am stuck. But there is a light off in the distance, and it is getting closer in this very dark cave I find myself in. And there's one who's coming, and he's ready to let me out. And he knows the way out. You can just follow him. Just listen to his voice. He knows you are weak this morning. He will hold you up. He knows that you are very, very tired. He will hold you up when you're weak in the knees. He knows the way and he will lead you out. He has come to rescue you. The only question this morning is, will you let him? Will you let him? Because he can liberate you like nothing else can. 
So the gospel liberates us from ourselves, but we also see in our passage that the gospel liberates us from others. Uh, look, at, look at this verse, verse 10. It says this, for am I seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, how would I, how would I, I would, wow, let me try that again. I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul had a choice. Will I allow my life to be shaped and directed by Jesus or, or will I allow my life to be shaped by other people's approval and recognition and admiration of me? And as much as our modern culture tries to free itself from what it sees as the bondages of religion and Jesus, we are only enslaved now to new laws and new commandments that are driving us. How do I measure up? How do I stack up? Uh, how, how, how am I doing with the scorekeeping compared to everyone else in my life? And our culture says that we find our lives surrounded by mirrors. But if you're like me, those mirrors don't tell you how well you're doing. They just show you how much further you are falling behind. They aren't congratulating you. They're judging you. Maybe you're like that this morning. You see, whether you're a Christian or not this morning, we know that we should be perfect. We know that deep in us. We're trying with everything we can to get there and we just can't do it. And worst of all, there's someone out there who's performing better. Someone out there who's achieving more. Someone out there who's leaving you in the dust. Isn't God so kind to give you those people? They're there just to remind you. <laughs> you don't have it together at all. We are driven and consumed with the approval of others. Shamath Palihapitiya, I worked 20 times to say that name correctly, rehearsing. Uh, he's the former VP of Facebook. Listen to how social media traps and taps into this drive we all have for the approval of others and the need to be perfect. He writes this. We curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded in these short-term signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate that with truth. Now, friends, I'm not on Facebook. You don't need Facebook to feel this way. We are approval junkies. We're all gripped by what others think of us, the approval is not wrong. It's just, we're trying to find the approval in the wrong person. There's this desire placed in us by God that only God alone can fill. We are all longing to be known and loved, but the gospel is this window open in your life, just opening it up where fresh wind of grace might blow in that all the approval you need, Jesus has accomplished. That, that all the enoughness you are looking for, Jesus has accomplished. That, that all the freedom you are looking for, Jesus has accomplished. The only question this morning is, will you trust him and put your confidence in him? How do you know you've put your trust in Jesus? Well, one way you will notice is there is a strange self-forgetfulness happening in your life. This just a strange sense that you're forgetting yourself. Um, there's a conservative Episcopal rector named Paul Walker, and he shares this story, great story of how he was asked by one of his staff members one time, how, how is your day going? How's your day going? 
And he has this great line. He, he says this, um, I am really trying hard to take everything personal today. <laughs> what a great line. I'm trying so hard today to take everything personal. Why, why did they say it like that? Why, why did they say it like, why, why, why did they do that? And most of the time, hate to break it to you, they weren't thinking about you at all. We, we, we just try so hard to take everything personal in our life. Here's how you know you're getting the gospel in your life. There's a liberating happening. You, you find yourself, you're able to relax more. You're, you're able to laugh at yourself. There's a, new, there's a rescue underway. You know you're a sinner saved by grace. You know you need good news and not more advice. The, 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 the great Brennan Manning said it all is grace. That you're able to look at your life and say everything is grace. How, how kind of God to give me what I have. There's a humility happening. You actually are able to stop thinking about yourself. You, 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 you notice someone in your life who has a high sense of self-forgetfulness because when you're talking to them, they're really clued into you. And they're asking you all these questions about you. And there's just a very real sense that they're not saying anything about themselves at all. Is that you this morning? Is there a self-forgetfulness growing within you? The second thing, you know, the gospel is liberating you is there is an others forgetfulness. There's a self-forgetfulness. There's an others. What do I mean? Because you know that you have to be rescued because you know, you are a sinner saved by grace. You're able to forgive others in your life. Uh, you're, you're able to stop constantly judging and criticizing those in your life, critiquing them. If only they would stop doing this, that awful habit. If only they would, if only they would fix this thing in their life. If, if only, if only they would stop snoring. Think that. We are finally able to lay down our revenge stories. Friends, we all have them. We all have them. One of my most, the one of the most famous revenge stories uh, you may have already heard about. His name is Anigo Montoya from the movie, The Princess Bride. Some of you have seen the movie. His whole life, he is in search of the six-finger man who killed his father. He, 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 he's been harnessing his revenge story. He, he, he's been cleaning his sword. He has been practicing. He's been rehearsing his line for, and what is it? My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. What? Prepare to die. <laughs> Friends, we all have our revenge stories. And we've carried them so deep in our bones. But the one beautiful gospel is having its effect on you because you are now able to acquit them rather than assassinate them. The gospel doesn't mean that we forget what they did. The gospel doesn't mean that we excuse what happened. But it does mean that that person or what happened no longer has to define my life. The gospel can liberate us if we're ready to let it. We are redeemed by the one who has shown us how to let go because he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. 
I love the story of William Holland. He was friends with Charles and John Wesley in the 1700s. And um, they had a gathering together and uh, they pulled out Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And there's a preface in the front of the commentary where Luther very explicitly explains the one beautiful gospel. And so William Holland gathers uh, Charles and John Wesley and a few other friends and they they get together and and William Holland says, I want to read this out loud. Let's read this preface out loud together. And William Holland wrote this later uh, about what happened that night. He says this, Mr. Charles Wesley read the preface aloud There came such a power over me as I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw our Savior. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. When I afterwards went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I trod upon. William Holland was liberated in a way that I can only pray that we are this morning. There is a rescue mission underway. There is a word of grace that has come to you this morning in the person of Jesus. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Go to Jesus and let him remind you again of that grace this morning. Grace changes everything. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do come once again to your word. And we thank you for the reminder again this morning of this beautiful gospel. That we find ourselves this morning maybe overwhelmed or wearied or burdened. Maybe with a very real sense that the perfection that we've been clinging to isn't attainable. There is a gap. There is a chasm. But we know that it's been bridged. We know that there is a light in the distance and that you have come. And so, Lord, would you meet us and would you rescue us again this morning? Remind us again the beauty of this grace and all the ways you want to work in us and through us in the days ahead. We do pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen.